So Money episode 878, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. April 26th, Friday, Ask Farnoosh. Are you ready? We've got questions today regarding student loans versus retirement. Which should I prioritize? Because obviously money is limited. What to do after a heartbreaking breakup that has you spending more than you ever have and putting you in the hole a little bit. How to get back on track, how to get on the right mindset. And lots of really good questions this week. In case you missed any of the episodes this week, I encourage you to go back and check out Tina Hay from Monday. She is the founder of Napkin Finance, which I hadn't really ever heard of before. And someone recommended Tina to me. I checked out Napkin Finance. It's incredible what she's built. Tina's a former MBA from Harvard, and she's worked in the entertainment industry for a lot of her career and has since pivoted to finance and has created this really enjoyable, creative way to consume financial literacy. So she has these napkins that have these doodles that that talk about various topics in the personal finance space that can sometimes be like hard to explain or just boring, like compound interest, but she's really killing it. Brands are reaching out to her. She's also worked with the Obama administration. So she's obviously doing something right. It's simple, but it's revolutionary at the same time. So check out Tina Hay. And that was on Monday. On Wednesday, we had Susan Hyatt, who is the author of Bear, a book that's all about how to kind of transform your life, starting with your sense of self-worth. She is somebody who struggled with body image for a lot of her years, a lot of her life, and has written a book to address that, but also in in doing so, kind of giving a lot of support to people who may be in the same boat or you know are feeling down because of their sense of self-worth, their weight, their body image issues. But she talks about how, you know, getting to peace with that can then open up doors in your life to so much, right? To acceptance of yourself, but also, you know, fulfillment in your career, fulfillment in your relationships, financial achievement, really, really deep, interesting conversation with Susan. On Thursday, yesterday, if you were checking your podcast app or however you get this podcast, you might've seen a new episode pop up. Don't normally air on Thursdays, but it was a bonus episode yesterday in partnership with Charles Schwab. My co-host was Joyce Stevens, a certified financial planner who manages Schwab's branches in Arlington, Virginia, and Annapolis, Maryland. And the two of us, we tackled your questions we have a lot of questions that it's kind of nice to have an extra ask for Anoush once in a while because it gets us to play a little bit of catch up with some of the questions that haven't been addressed. But we talked about things like financial planning, specifically Roth IRAs. Are they who are they good for? Should you open one up? How to save for college when you have three kids? Start saving now. And another question we had yesterday about how to prepare for a market downturn, which I know sometimes people on the show are worried about. And of course, if you're a human, I think that that's a natural concern and you're 
if you're in the stock market, you want to make sure your money is protected. So Joy had some some good answers around that. And I think I think it's important to go back and listen to that because it's April, almost May, and we have been hearing about the possibilities of a big pullback in 2019. And so if you're in that camp and you're concerned, uh, check out yesterday's bonus episode with Joy. This week was also week two of Stacks House. We've had some incredible turnout and most recently, I almost almost brought to tears because good tears, happy tears. Uh, the New Yorker covered our event, and a reporter came during press previews on the first week, and uh, she, you know, kind of had a poker face. We weren't sure if she was digging it or if she was going to write something terrible, and we were overwhelmed with the piece that she wrote. Uh, check it out if you haven't. The New Yorker is one of the most respected journals in the world. And as someone who went to journalism school, I'm sort of, you know, beside myself because I never thought that I would have my name printed in The New Yorker. I mean, maybe I dreamed of it, but I never actually thought dreams like that would come true. And here we are. It's It's been a journey. And one day we will tell you, I will tell you all about the behind the scenes and the craziness that uh is involved in creating something like a pop-up, especially in the personal finance space. But it's moments like these when you see your work displayed and appreciated in a a place like The New Yorker where you're like, okay, well, if nothing else, right? I mean, we got there and that's something to be really proud of. So thank you to The New Yorker for that coverage. And thank you to everybody who's come, who says they're coming, people who are like, I'm not in LA, but I'd love to see you come to my town. We're we're taking all of your feedback into consideration, right? People who've written to me from Seattle and Miami and Atlanta and Detroit and every place. We really want to figure out our next steps soon. And this feedback is really important to us. So thanks to everybody. If you haven't gotten tickets yet, or if you'd like to purchase tickets for a friend in LA, you can go to stackshouse.com for slash tickets. You can use the code so money stacks LA. So money stacks LA, one word for 20% off. We're going to go to the Instagram shortly, but there is a really good question that came in through the website that I want to address. And it's from Megan, who says, Farnoosh, I love the podcast. One of my top women-focused financial podcasts. Thank you, Megan. Um, she says that she's been continually inspired and she's making a lot of strides. She wants to actually join the FIRE movement, which, you know, the financial independence retire early, I think it's called. But, you know, that's a huge growing movement. And we've had a lot of guests on the show that are part of that, people who are in their 40s and 50s and have retired early and really interesting uh, stories there. But good luck to you, Megan. I think that's a great goal to have. Her question is regarding student loan debt. And she says that she has about $64,000 in student loans, which is ha- has about a 6.6% interest rate. She's 32 years old. Her retirement account has about $10,000 in it. She is contributing 15%. So she sounds like she's you know making a commitment there. But because the student loans have not gone out of the picture and because they are averaging about 6.6%, which is, you know, not nothing. She's thinking about delaying her retirement contributions and paying down this debt. She says, I I don't get a match with my 401k. Um, Should I continue what I'm doing? She says, I know the answer from a numbers perspective is to do both, but I'm struggling emotionally because I would love to knock this debt down. Putting off retirement would allow me to pay it off in six to seven years as opposed to 10 to 12 years. What are your thoughts? 
I don't know if you're going to love my answer, Megan, but I do think you should try to do both. Now, that said, I don't know if you need to go full speed ahead with both as you are, you know, paying the minimums on the loan of the, on the student loan and 15% on retirement, but I think that only having $10,000 in retirement at 32 is not enough. And I don't know what your income is, but it sounds like you definitely need to be playing some catch up there. I would prioritize retirement. And the student loans, look, they're a term loan. They'll be done when they're done. If you just follow the course, the most important thing with student loans is that you don't fall behind. If you can get them under control, get them automated and managed, I think that can open doors for you to then, um, you know, pay attention to some other areas in your financial life that frankly do need some attention. You know, retirement is the sort of thing that you don't get any loans for retirement, right? There's no grant, scholarship, nothing like that to support you in retirement. It's all on you and us. I mean, there's social security, but I'm not really banking on that. I mean, I know it'll be around probably by the time I retire, but it's not going to pay for most of my expenses. And so, I really have to take that responsibility on myself. I think I would really like to see you, Megan, do the 15%. I know there's no match. That's kind of a bummer. But I think you'll be more upset, you know, when this student loan is paid off. Let's say you do the, let's say you go the course and you aggressively pay off your loans in six or seven years. Then you look at your retirement and you're like, still behind. You know, maybe you've only got, you know, at that point, um, three or four times as much as you have now, which, you know, is still not going to be a lot. You're going to be concerned now about that. So the the worries won't go away. I feel like you're still going to be feeling anxious, even with this student loan debt gone. I think you got to try to straddle both paths to the best that you can. And when you get a tax return, when you get a raise, maybe that's an opportunity for you to pay down these student loans. And remember, it's important that when you do put an extra payment towards student loans, like any debt, you put it towards the principal, not principal plus interest because, or rather not just like an extra payment, not just as an extra payment, because that'll go towards some principal and some interest. But you want to put all of that extra money towards the principal. It'll knock down that balance faster in a bigger chunk and effectively uh, reduce your interest burden and also the term of the loan. So I'm I am agreeing with your gut and I'm agreeing with your math. And it, it sounds like you know what you have to do, but I would just say try to take a little bit of the emotion out of it because the emotions aren't really helping you here. If you think you're going to be emotionally okay after maybe shaving a few extra years off these student loans, but then still looking at your retirement account and seeing that it's not where you think it should be, that's going to be another added stress. That is what I think you should do. That's what I would do if this were if we're talking about credit card debt here with like 19% interest, I'd have a different prescription for you. But it's student loans, they will be done, stay the course, and then use your extra money for these other important aspects of your financial life. Thanks for your question, Megan, and good luck. Okay, now turning to the Instagram. Question here from Ryan, who says, many of your guests talk about being young female entrepreneurs. My 12-year-old daughter loves to read, adventure fiction mostly, and I wonder what books can you recommend that might inspire her to start her own business? 
So I looked into this Ryan and there's not a ton, unfortunately. So maybe an opportunity for anyone who wants to write for the tween audience about entrepreneurship in a fun, engaging way, there's an opportunity. I did find a couple of books and actually both of these authors have been on So Money. The first is Maya Penn's book, M-A-Y-A Penn. She's a young lady. She's, I think, uh, still in high school. And she was one of the youngest young girls to ever give a TED talk. She's extremely creative, extremely entrepreneurial, wise beyond her ears. Her book is called You Got This. And it's subtitle is Unleash Your Awesomeness, Find Your Path, and Change Your World. So Maya is a role model, I think, for a lot of young girls and boys. She's someone who, from a very young age, just was really interested in leadership, entrepreneurship. She did a TED Talk. You know, so this is someone to watch. I think Oprah interviewed her and she's been on this podcast. You might want to do an archive check and find her interview. She's really impressive. And so her book is called You Got This. I think great for young people to read. It's not specifically about entrepreneurship, but it is about how to be an agent for change, even when you're young. So whether that's, you know, being um, someone that's active in your community or starting a business or just being like a good Samaritan, I think there's a lot you can learn from that book. And uh, Maya is just somebody to watch. Maybe down the road, it'll just end up becoming someone that your daughter um, really looks up to. So that's one book. The other book is called In the Company of Women. And this was a New York Times bestselling book. It's more like a a coffee table book. I have it in our house. And it's written by a woman named Grace Bonney. And what Grace did was really interesting. She went around the country, maybe even the world, and interviewed 100 makers, artists, and entrepreneurs, all women. It is more like a photography-driven almost like reading like a really big magazine. It's got photography. It's got like one page profiles of these women, how they got started, what their business is about. And so might be fun to have just in the house and have your daughter have access to this. That's the other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, books are important. And obviously, you know, there are some books that are more designed for young people than adults when it comes to things like this. But it's also about conversations that you're having in the house. So I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine who is an entrepreneur and she's three kids. And we were talking about how we, you know, instill entrepreneurial instincts in our kids. And she has older kids. They're like elementary and middle school age. But she says, even just walking around our neighborhood, if we all go out to dinner, coming home, we'll notice some of these businesses on the street might have, um, you know, out of business signs or for, for rent signs. And we think about what kinds of businesses could go here and why, or why this business is failing. And so having conversations like that, that are kind of more spontaneous, but from the parent's perspective, maybe a little conscious because you want to start getting your kids to have these kind of critical thoughts about what it takes to start a business. And, you know, the old school lemonade stand, the benefits of that are still relevant. So encouraging your daughter to find ways around the house to make money. I remember one parent telling me that rather than giving his son just a flat out allowance for say doing chores or whatever, that he, his son was tasked with going around the house and trying to discover needs that the household had, which may not have been addressed, kind of pitching that to his parents, like saying, hey, mom, dad, I noticed that 
you know, there's this section in our basement that is a mess or hasn't really been organized or there's a lot of junk in our basement. I'd love to either have a yard sale or organize this for us or, you know, coming up with tasks that can help the family in maybe ways that aren't every day. And then here's the bonus, the kicker. The son had to propose his fee. So this is important too, because you want to encourage also like deciding what your worth is and pushing for your worth and your value, negotiating. So he would say, I think this is like a $15 project that I would say, okay, well, why? And then then the son would have to explain it and, you know, maybe they would negotiate, but it's, it's all a good exercise. I think these are the sort of things that you can do around the house. It's not, it doesn't cost anything to implement these lessons, but for sure, I mean, at age 12, your daughter is at a very impressionable age. And I think these sorts of experiences are going to go a very long way. So just commend you. I just commend you for having the um, the proactiveness to write to me and ask these questions. It's so important and so great and such an, a great example for all of us listening. Thanks so much, Ryan. Okay, question here from Hayden on Instagram, who asks, 20% savings rule, is this still a thing? And if so, what is the recommendation on how to divvy up the 20%? My focus is on retirement and an emergency fund. And I'm putting 10% towards retirement and 10% towards the emergency fund. But should I do 15% and 5%? Like what is the, (laughs) what is the rule? So traditionally, if you're starting out and you're in your 20s and you've just kind of embarked on your savings journey, 10% towards retirement through like your 401k at work and another 10% into your personal savings is a really healthy start. Where it gets to be a little more or less is really up to the person. So if you're in your 30s and you haven't saved at all for retirement, then I would say 15%, maybe 20% towards retirement. And then you got to still put on an extra five or 10% or whatever for your rainy day. It's really just a benchmark and it's a minimum benchmark from, I think, you know, it used to be like the standard. If you're doing 10% in retirement and 10% in savings, it's the gold standard. But I think that these days it is more is more, right? And so if you do 15%, 10% in retirement and then another five or 10% in your rainy day until you have about three to six months saved, that's great. And then once those three to six months of your expenses are saved, maybe taking that 5% or 10% that you were putting towards personal savings and adding that to retirement or starting a new goal, which could be you know saving up for a down payment or saving up for a vacation or a business or what have you. Um, but it's just a moving target. But yeah, the 20% rule is still golden. I would also say that if you are someone like our first question asker who wants to be part of the FIRE movement, and retire early. Anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of early retirees that they saved anywhere from 25 to 50% of their income by investing and putting it in a rainy day account their entire careers, starting at their first job. And then by the time they reached 45, 50, they felt they had a good enough of a nest egg to retire. So this is all dependent on your goals. If you want to retire at 65, 70 versus 40, 45, 50, you're going to have a much different savings approach, right? Um, But if you're more trying to go the standard route, I would say starting with 10% towards 401k, 10% towards rainy day is good. Hope that helps. Okay. 
Next question from Nicholas. I love that I have some male listeners. People think that this show is just for women. Not true. Says, I have a question for you. In January, I experienced a breakup with my girlfriend who I lived with and was planning on proposing to. Since then, I've been a mess, but my financial situation has deteriorated. I have racked up $2,000 in debt from partying and I am not on a great salary, making about $1,300 or 1,300 euros per month post-tax as most of my salary is equity in a company. What are good starting points to reclaiming control again? Well, I'm really sorry to hear about this breakup. This is devastating. I'm really sorry for you. And thank you for sharing this personal detail with me, Nicholas. And I want to see where you're from. Um, Looks like you're from the UK. Um, You have a really cool Instagram feed. Norsini4, if anybody wants to follow Nicholas. So first, just really sorry for your breakup. That's not – I don't wish that on anybody. That's really hard. And I can understand that you've been down on yourself and perhaps spending money to emotionally make up for it. I think that we often spend when we're emotional. That's everybody. Uh, But you wanted to stop and I want to say that – and I think that's important. I think that two bits of advice for you. One is – to automate savings because if you aren't already, that's the only way you can save without getting emotional, right? Automation is plain and simple. It happens whether you're having a good day or a bad day or a so-so day. You just know that that money is always going to go where it needs to go. So hooking up your bank account to a savings account that is perhaps at the same bank or at a online bank that you're just taking a percentage of every paycheck to save. I think that it's important to not leave the house with all your credit cards because um, basically don't make it easy for yourself to spend. So if you are, you know, if you are hooked up to all these like online sites that have your credit card, you might want to detach for a while if you can't trust yourself. And it's not because you're a bad person or because you're reckless, but because sometimes that's what we need to do as human beings because we make emotional choices. So if you need to um, do that, do that. We have to control the environment. I just read an article the other day that it was like saying that science has now proven that willpower has less to do with achieving our goals. It's more about controlling your environment, reducing temptation. So if you are doing things that expose you to temptation, you need to stop doing those things, right? So if you're if you've got these group of friends that are always calling you and and saying, "Let's go out." You say, I want to hang out with you, but can you come over instead? Like, I don't want to go to another bar and leave having dropped, you know, 100 pounds on drinks. Um, Why don't you guys bring some, you know, drinks over to my place and I'll host, but like I need to just be around people. Yes, because I'm going through an emotional time and friendship's important still, but I don't want to be going out and going more into the financial hole. So figuring out kind of where the leaks are happening and why and putting a stop to them. That's one thing. And then the other thing is automating. And then, okay, a third thing, I would just say, 
don't be alone, right? So it's really important that you're connecting with people. You want to make sure that your friends who are around you are supporting you, but not because they want to like take you out to the bar. And if they do, they got to pay for it. I don't want you paying any more money for your drinks, but don't also wallow in your misery by drinking. Like go out there and do something that's going to distract you that's healthy, right? You go out, uh, go camping with your friends. You take like a staycation. You sign up for yoga. You sign up for meditation, whatever. Like do something Again, controlling your environment, right? You're implementing some activities into your day-to-day that's going to distract you, that's not going to make you spend more money, that's going to also be healthy for your mind. So, I mean, that's what I do. Like, if I had to go through a bad breakup, I would just want to, like, detach, right, and go and just heal somewhere and not go crazy into debt doing it. But, you know, there are ways to do things like that. If it's just a matter of planning your weekends around cool, fun things that are happening in your town, spending your time with quality friends, that is also going to go a very long way for you. But also I will say that time heals, right? So just be patient and and just know yourself. You know yourself now. You've been spending money recklessly. You know what your weaknesses are and where your temptations are. So try to kind of get ahead of that, if that makes sense. But really wishing you the best, Nicholas. Thank you so much for listening all the way from the UK. So touched. Thank you. Okay. a A question here from Kevin, I believe. The Instagram handle's a little ambiguous, but the first three letters are K-E-V. So I'm going to call you Kev. Kev says, I'm a huge fan of the show and I hope you can help me out. I'll try. Since I'm 24, I have no debt and a credit score in the 700s. Well, you sound like you're doing great so far. I don't know if you need my help, but it goes on. He says, my mom wants to refinance her home and asked me to be a co-borrower because she needs a higher income total to qualify. I want to help her out, but I think it would be financially risky for me to take on this responsibility. And if it matters, I only make $16 an hour and I barely make enough to get by and save. Any advice would be appreciated. Thank you so much. All right. A lot of thoughts here, Kevin. I think that I'm going to go with what you're telling me first, which is that you're concerned about pairing up with your mom as a co-borrower. You think that it could be risky for you. And I wonder if there's any history here that would lead you to believe this. I mean, just objectively, it's not really the best idea to be a co-borrower with anybody unless this person has like pristine credit, great income. But then why would they need a co-borrower, right? There's always a risk to being a co-borrower, assuming that the person who's asking you to co-borrow with them has not enough of a financial history or like a healthy financial um, track record to qualify on their own for whatever loan this is. So they're obviously coming to you for a reason. If you have any reason to doubt your mother's ability to pay for this mortgage, this new mortgage on her own, then you shouldn't at all pursue this. And frankly, you making $16 an hour, I'm not sure you're going to be like the best co-borrower. I mean, yes, your credit score is great and you have income and you have a job. So that's great. But I don't know how much money we're talking about here. And if someone making $16 an hour would qualify as a co-borrower. So you could just say to her, you know, I love you. I want to be able to support you. But I, first of all, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about being a co-borrower because, you know, as you know, I'm trying to build my credit and build my financial life. And I, I just want to be um, careful because, you know, being a co-borrower, I'm 
on the hook for this mortgage equally as you are. And I'm just not in a place to be able to afford it. And see where that takes you, that conversation, that honest conversation with your mother. And, you know, you can just say, you know, I make $16 an hour. If I make more, when I make more, I would love to help you. But right now I'm just not I'm not financially able to. Your credit score is not the only thing that matters. Your income matters a lot. The bank wants to know that if your mom can't make the payments, that you can. And I I don't know if you can with your current income. So I just think that the, the fact that you're concerned is a red flag to me. And I think you need to trust your gut on this and you need to be honest with your mother. And it may not be an easy conversation to have, but you need to be honest with her because the result of not being honest and doing this and then something bad happens could cause a lot more tension and resentment and hurt and pain. And so just nip it in the bud now. Um, If this is not something that she can qualify on her own, perhaps she should rethink it. Yeah. So good luck to you, Kev. I I really appreciate that you reached out and let us know how things end up. All right. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks to all my question askers, all my listeners who wrote in this week. If you want to get in touch, follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. And you can also send me your questions by going to somoneypodcast.com, clicking on Ask Farnoosh. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money. 